IBN is proud to bring you the following podcast. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm T.J. O'Hara, the principal political analyst for IBN, the independent voter news. Our goal on Deconstructed is to break down important political issues with outstanding guests so you can develop your own more informed opinion. My guests today are Christina Tobin and Eli Beckerman. Ms. Tobin is an activist and leader in the election reform and voters' rights movements. She is the founder of the Free and Equal Elections Foundation, a nonprofit organization with a mission to open the electoral process through education and collaborative action. Mr. Beckerman is a strategic thinker, organizer, and communications professional working to open up the United States political system to new ideas, fresh voices, and better choices. After years of organizing to build the Green Party as a viable political alternative, he started working with libertarians, political independents, and others to create Open the Debates, whose mission is to open the political debates of our nation to all ballot qualified candidates at every level of government. Ms. Tobin and Mr. Beckerman are here to talk about the importance of presidential debates and what can be done to improve them. Christina and Eli, welcome to Deconstructed. Thank you for having us, TJ. Great to be here. I think it would be great to let our listeners learn more about your respective organizations. So, Christina, can you give us a brief overview of the Free and Equal Elections Foundation? Yes, TJ, thanks. We're a nonprofit. We're founded in 2008. We've hosted open gubernatorial, presidential, and senatorial debates, including in 2008, 12, 16, and 20 debates moderated by Chris Hedges in 08, Larry King in 12, and Tom Hartman, and then Ed Asner in 16, and myself this last cycle. And since 2009, we've hosted annual electoral reform symposiums, uniting intellectuals and experts to share, debate, and offer reforms to the current U.S. electoral system. And then in 2014, we raised the bar even furthermore and launched United We Stand, which is an annual nationwide tour uniting younger generations with musicians, artists, and thought leaders to encourage local civic participation and inspire people to run for office. And finally, our fourth key project with Free and Equal Elections is creating a block blockchain elections is an app to promote transparency and empower voters with information about all their candidate choices. So these are the projects that Free and Equal is about. And definitely our presidential debates, we hosted three this year, and that was very exciting to do to take it to the next level and open up our debates throughout the U.S. So that's what Free and Equal Elections is about. Thank you, Christine. And Eli, can you give us an overview of Open the Debates? Sure. Open the Debate is a cross-partisan organization that's focused on opening up presidential debates and debates at every level of government to all ballot-qualified candidates. It's a pretty non-controversial idea. Something like three-fourths of American voters want open debate. And I think most voters don't know that there are gatekeepers that are inserting themselves in between our ballot choices and the candidates that we get to hear from in the media and on the debate stage. And for this last cycle, we did something of a strategic pivot, not just fighting exclusionary debates, but thinking about what alternative debates might look like. And so that sort of brought us together with the Free and Equal Elections Foundation, who is the main organization out there that's been putting on alternative debates that are set up to truly serve the American electorate as opposed to the Commission on Presidential Debates. And that ended up in a lovely partnership for three different open debates in 2020. Let's talk about the history and performance of the Commission on Presidential Debates. 
aka the CPD. Eli, you mentioned the fact that there are external forces that control the way presidential debates are managed at this point in time. A lot of people don't realize that all the way back in 1952, you had the League of Women Voters hosting the first nationally televised debate in U.S. history, and uniquely, it had all the candidates. In 1960, things changed with the Nixon-Kennedy debate marking the first time a presidential debate was aired on TV during the general election. It was the first time to feature only the nominees of the two major parties, which was made possible by a one-time congressional suspension of the equal time provision of the Communications Act of 1934. Presidential debates weren't held in the ensuing years until the FCC created a loophole to allow networks to get around the equal time provision, at which time the League of Women Voters re-engaged to moderate the debates that were held from 1976 through 1984. The League withdrew before the 1988 election. Christina, would you like to explain why the League withdrew from hosting presidential debates after 1984? Well, sure. The League of Women Voters moved themselves from the CPD, stating, and you can see it online in Wikipedia and on the League of Women Voters website, that the CPD has perpetuated a fraud, a fraud on the American voters. So it is very clear that the CPD is one of the most powerful tools that the two-party, whether it's duopoly or now really corporations, (laughs) two corporations of what they are, has created to create this false illusion that there's only two parties. So this was really the reason the spark of why free and equal elections came about in 2008 after serving as independent presidential candidate Ralph Nader's ballot access coordinator would have done it for Dr. Ron Paul as well. And in seeing the difficulties of the ballot access side of what they do to keep dependents off the ballot. But I recognize that the Commission on Presidential Debates is, again, one of the most powerful tools and there need to be an alternative platform. So that's when Free and Equal hosted its first debate in 08. And it was nationally televised. And to date, we're the only debate platform to be nationally televised outside the CPD. But what was really cool, the difference between 08, 12 and 16 was this cycle in 2020 we've started to evolve into a coalition. So it's been a real honor to work alongside with Eli. Beckerman have opened the debates here. I'm not sure we would have done three debates, <laughs> if any, well, maybe one, but definitely not three without Eli's help. So I'm so excited to work with him and having worked more closely with Chad Peace, Kaya, UTJ of, of IB, in and IBP and, and all the great groups that I think that we're going to align with in 2024 as well. I think the collaboration between your two organizations is excellent. Eli, let's shift to you. Why are the presidential debates important? Well, they are the single most watched and referenced point of engagement between the candidates. And Ralph Nader made the point when he ran in 2000 that between all of the media appearances that he was able to do and filling uh Madison Square Garden and stadiums across the country as a Green Party candidate and really rallying young people and all sorts of people who weren't paying attention to the political process. And I'll just say that's kind of how I got engaged in the political process. But he made the point that all of that together wouldn't have been a fraction of the eyeballs of the presidential debate. And you really have to wonder why the commission would work so hard to not just shut people out, but when when Mr. Nader wandered onto the UMass Boston campus with a ticket to appear in the audience at one of the viewing venues, 
And he also had an invitation from Fox News to go on air with his side of the story and his responses to answers. The state police intervened and tried to keep him away from this public venue and threatened him with arrest just for showing up, even though he had a ticket to be there and an invitation. And again, the same kind of thing happened in 2012 when Green Party candidate Jill Stein showed up at Hofstra University. They ended up shuttling her and her running mate, Sherry Honkala, off to an undisclosed location where even her campaign staff weren't made aware of where she was. And they kept her there, locked to a chair for eight hours, presumably to keep her there. Like Mr. Nader, she had an invitation to go on MSNBC to give her side of the story. And by the time she was released from this location, all the media were gone. So it's even candidates who show up at the venue are deemed dangerous and can't even be given a media spotlight. And it just sort of begs the question, why do they go to such extreme length to silence these voices? And I think the clearest answer to that is when candidates have made it into very important forum, Ross Perot being the most prominent, they actually shake up the conversation. They dramatically improve the nature of the conversation. They break out of the fairy tale mythology of these false binary choices, and they can introduce some very serious issues like Perot did with the national debt. And all of a sudden, the major party candidates are forced to reckon with these ideas that are being said. And so I think the forums are very important. And I think it's clear, I don't think anyone would disagree, that the 2020 presidential debates that were televised did not serve us as voters in any way, shape or form. I think they merely padded the profit margins of the media organization. But I don't think that's a solid measure of how we should be choosing our next president of the United States. Well, Christina and Eli, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about presidential debates when we come back. Looking for an insider's perspective? Join IBN's principal political analyst, Dr. T.J. O'Hara, as he deconstructs America's most pressing issues with notable guests from across the political spectrum. Subscribe to Deconstructed for fresh perspectives and no partisan spin. Welcome back. My guests today are Christina Tobin, founder of the Free and Equal Elections Foundation, and Eli Beckerman, founder and director of Open the Debates. Let's talk about the presidential debates your organizations hosted this year. Christina, who was invited and who participated? Well, we had three different debates. And the first time we've ever done one before the primary in March, it was at Chicago Hilton. And we had 18 candidates confirmed for that debate. So it was from 10 different political affiliations. And if you want to get the list of those candidates, you can go to Free and Equal, our website, freeandequal.org. Our second debate, we had, I think, yeah, we had five candidates for that one. Brian Carroll of the American Solidarity Party, Brock Pierce, Independent, Don Blankenship, Constitution Party, and Gloria LaRiva. Party for Socialism and Liberation and Howie Hawkins, Green Party. And that second debate happened in Denver in early October, I think 8th it was. And then our final debate wasn't too long ago. It's less than a month. Feels like a year almost. (laughs) Was at the Little America in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And we invited candidates on the ballot in at least eight states for that final debate. And four participated. The ones I mentioned before, Don Blankenship of the Constitution Party confirmed, but he was absent. But the other four were there, Brian Carroll, Brock Pierce, Gloria LaRiva, and Howie Hawkins. So 
very, very cool having such diverse ideas across the spectrum. And I've been moderating debates, I think, since 2008, really 12. And so it was a lot of fun to sit and hear such a different ideas, but so much respect each candidate had for one another and their ideas and even the audience, both virtually and in person. And, you know, that's what it's about, exchanging ideas. And we don't have to agree with each other, but it's important to have respect towards one another and be kind. And that's what our debate platform has always offered and will continue to offer for many cycles to come. Eli, what was the debate format? Did you use panelists? Did you have a moderator? Did you have town hall format? How was it structured? Well, Christina was the moderator for all three debates, and the two general election debates featured audience questions that were submitted by video from various prominent Americans. And there was one live moderator, and it just offered a different kind of glimpse in terms of the questions themselves than what we're used to seeing from the Commission on Presidential Debate and the subject matter that they're willing to broach. TJ, as far as the format we use, it's called the cumulative format, which is the same format that the League of Women Voters use. It's a two-minute opening, closing statement. Depending on the amount of candidates, you might have, for example, five questions and they have two minutes to answer each question. And then also they can have a rebuttal or extension, sometimes three or five each, where they can use it all on one question or at the very end or on each question. So very basic format. It's been the same thing we've used since 08 and it has worked really well for us. So we have used that format in 08, 12, 16 and all three presidential debates this cycle. And how are subjects selected? Oh, well, subjects, I would like to put it on a blockchain app in the future. That's the goal. Lean on a lot of social media platforms, whether it's uh, the Mind Unleashed, Collective Evolution, Free Thought Project, and so many more in listening to the ideas that are important to the people. I also ask candidates, what ideas are important to you? I've had audience in some debates stand up in the moment and ask questions. And then also intellectuals like Eli was mentioning, whether it's G. Edward Griffin talking about the Federal Reserve, right, being a private institution to Lynn Ulbricht about pardoning Snowden and so on, or her son, Ross Ulbricht. So a variety of intellectuals, it's a combination of all. But in the future, I really do foresee blockchain voting being the prime (laughs) direction of how questions will be asked. And we'll be implementing different alternative voting methods in that blockchain app, like, for example, instant runoff voting ranked choice voting, or approval voting, or score voting. (laughs) The more, the merrier. And Christina, how has free and equals debates evolved over the years? What's improved in your mind? I would say it has been a lot easier to get candidates to confirm. The most difficult part about putting on presidential debates, and Eli, I think you saw firsthand (laughs) this experience, (laughs) but not like before, though. Yeah, I think it was getting candidates to confirm. It was actually this cycle was the first time it was much easier. So, you know, Donald Trump, he tried to put on a presidential debate in 2012, but he couldn't get any candidates to confirm. And I think that's probably the primary reason. It's so interesting, TJ, while you have libertarians and greens and other parties talk about how particular libertarians and greens like Gary Johnson and Jill Stein talking about how they want to be in the CPD debates. They were in our debates in 12, but in 16, they felt like they got too big for our platform and only agreed to do a debate between each other. And it's so important to include more candidates beyond your party line. So more voices and more choices is our tagline. 
And I think also the flow, I think I understand the ideas much more and the topics than I did when I was in my mid late 20s. I'm 39 now. So uh, with a, you know, a background in design and graphic design, but I do this because it's for our country. And I think it's important, no matter what we can do for our country, to do something to better our world. And this is what I'm giving back to our country. And Eli, you joined this cause essentially this year, so you have some fresh perspectives. What did you learn and what improvements do you think are required? Well, I think there were always ideas that I had weren't really connected to the practical realities of how challenging they might be to carry them out. And so even just the idea of pulling off the debate during the primary, it was actually during a National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers meeting in Denver in December that I was trying to convince Christina to jump into it during the primaries because I felt like it was such a unique opportunity where you might get some of the more prominent candidates who are being excluded by the Democratic Party and the Republican Party for the primary debate. I thought we might be able to get a candidate like Bill Weld and Joe Walsh to come and join candidates like Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard, who were being excluded. And we didn't end up getting those high profile candidates, but we ended up pulling off this really historic debate during the primaries. It's the first cross-partisan debate. And the amount of work that goes into organizing a presidential debate is astounding. And the kind of thing where talking about doing a debate was one thing and then exposed to the reality of it. I learned a whole lot of newfound respect for Christina and what she's been able to do consistently every cycle. And it didn't get any easier, I'd say, for the general election. And I think one of the things that I would love to see is the more participatory framework. I think the other thing that would have helped and it didn't quite come together for 2020 was to have more of a coalition involved. I think we were able to get some of the nonpartisan reform and democracy reform groups to submit questions. But I think this is an opportunity for the growing political reform movement to really assert itself. I think there's a fundamental failing of the political system that most Americans recognize. And I think debates are an underappreciated vehicle for creating the nature and the boundaries of our political discussion and how we go about choosing our elected officials and representatives. And I just think that there are a lot of opportunities through coalition run debate platform that can really open it up to putting first and foremost voters first, putting the country first, forgetting about the undue influence of these political parties and turn it into a constructive, respectful conversation about our future and these major challenges that we're facing together. And I think the dumpster fire debates of 2020 have a very strong contrast with the debates that Free and Equal and Open the Debates were able to pull off. And I invite listeners to check them out at freeandequal.org. And the nature, the political conversation was kind of shockingly different from anything that we're exposed to in the corporate media. And for better, because the people are grappling with these serious issues and serious challenges, and they're putting forward serious policy solutions. And I think that's where people feel like we need our politics to be. And it's really shameful, I think, how far away from that our national politics are right now. 
Well, Christina and Eli, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about presidential debates when we come back. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers is the only association of nonpartisan election reform leaders, organizations, and industry professionals dedicated to increasing electoral competition and voter choice. Learn more at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back. My guests today are Christina Tobin, founder of the Free and Equal Elections Foundation, and Eli Beckerman, founder and director of Open the Debates. Christina, we were wrapping up the last segment talking about what has evolved over the years. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yes, I would say that to wrap up the last segment from a monetary standpoint, we had a really big breakthrough from our second to third debate, the cycle. The first one, I funded most of it. The second one, I funded all of it, but it was less costly. And the third debate we had at the Independent National Convention, they sponsored us and uh, foundations through that to where we actually were fully supported. And I even got a moderator fee. So that felt really great. And as Eli was talking about coalitions, I think that's really the wave of the future with free and equal elections, teaming up with open the debates is bringing in more coalitions and seeing that the funding goes beyond just the conventions and foundations. But really in the cryptocurrency world I see has been elevating us a lot. And I think a lot of our platforms going to be about exchanging and helping, not even all about money. Like if IVN wants to put up tens of thousands to promote on their website to promote our debate, then they can be a sponsor you know, of our debate in 2024. So we're really creative. It's less about the Federal Reserve note and more about helping elevate each other through a coalition. Eli, how can you leverage public sentiment to expand the candidate participation in the CPD formats? It's a great question. I think that the public sentiment is so strong. And I think, unfortunately, the real point of leverage is when you have a very strong third party candidate or independent candidate. And I think that that's the only place that the leverage really comes from. And without those really strong candidates, it's very easy for the media and the CPD to get away with fraud, basically. And Christina, what criteria would you apply to qualify candidates? For future debates? Yes. I would say I want to open it up furthermore. I plugged our blockchain election system app. You can learn more about it at freeandequal.org, as mentioned before. And I want to list all the candidates that are actually running for president and let the people decide through blockchain voting. We'll implement instant runoff voting, ranked choice voting, and other alternative voting methods into it. And let the people decide who's going to be in the first round of debates. And then from that point forward, the winners of that go into the second round of debates. And might I add, we may expand beyond three debates in 2024. It's been discussed, maybe it'll be six or 12 debates. And there'll be collaboration where I would co-moderate with a variety of celebrities that specialize in different topics. So these are the ideas already being discussed for 24. And that's the goal, to really, really open up the debates furthermore. Eli, what format would you recommend? And when I say format, I mean moderator, panelist, town hall, all three based on three different debates. What formats do you think would best serve the American public? I think a variety of formats is always something that gives voters a chance to see candidates in different formats and setups. And so a town hall where they're having to respond directly to the electorate. And I think one of the things that we saw a little too much of is media panels where the moderators themselves, I think, drew a little too much spotlight onto themselves. And, you know, I would be more interested in seeing candidates have a conversation where they're moderating their own conversation. I think we can learn a lot from that. 
That would be interesting. Christina, you talked about having a blockchain approach where people can come in and say which candidates they like, and you start narrowing down the field over the three debates. In 2012, you had something similar to that. And what it drove was a bias almost towards Libertarian and Green Party because they're more substantive established parties. How do you address that issue? Yeah, in 12, I mean, the first debate, I think we only had four or five candidates participate. And so we took the two leading candidates to be in the final round of debates. So it was really a lack of proceeds and money. It takes a lot of money to put on debates. This cycle, we had three. So, I mean, we had 16, 18 candidates, that is, in our first debate, and then five in our second and four in our third. So, I mean, we could really open it up. So it really comes down to not as much funds in 2012, and we have more support this time. Um, than ever around, particularly with our third and final debate in 2020. So yeah, it definitely wasn't open enough, but it will be even more in the future <laughs> for 24. Well, Christina and Eli, in the limited amount of time we have left, where could our listeners go to learn more about you and your organizations and possibly get involved? And Christina, let's start with you. Sure. You can go to freeandequal.org and you can go on there and learn more about all the projects that I mentioned and get involved. And, you know, I wanted to end on the note that no matter how dismayed you may be with what's going on in our world, recognize it is one big grand illusion. It's a myth of voter choice and a two-party tyranny that they've created, but there's a reason why there's more independent voters on the rise than D's and R's. And congressional ratings is all-time low. And I, I have civil rights leaders and mentors uh, messaging to me that independent candidates movement will rise. And finally, you know, Ron Paul has the quote, if you're ever going to bring about revolutionary changes, I always say evolutionary changes. He said two things that need to be involved, the youth and music. So I see music rising. I see a constitutional sheriffs coming out and neutralizing the energy. And I see consciousness, you know, what we're going through now will pass. But I see us rising like never before. And technology and blockchain voting is a game changer, it is going to bring about transparency in our elections once and for all, blockchain voting. Eli, it's your turn. Yeah, people can check out openthedebates.org and find us at Open the Debates on both Twitter and Facebook. We're most active on Twitter probably, but there are definitely ways to plug in and to help build this coalition so that we don't have to accept these debates that are run by self-appointed, unaccountable gatekeepers any longer. Well, Christina Tobin and Eli Beckerman, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I think you've done a great job of explaining why our presidential debates are so important and why we should reconsider how they're conducted and who gets to participate. I wish you the best of luck in your endeavors. And Christina and Eli, thank you both for joining me on Deconstructed. Thanks for having us, TJ. A huge shout out to IBN, all of you guys, TJ, Kaya, Chad Peace. It's been a joy working with all of you. I look forward to getting to know the whole team. Thanks for all that you do. This podcast is brought to you by IVN.us, an open news platform for independent-minded authors and readers. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to IVN.us where you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or iHeartRadio.